Welcome to The Way Home Podcast, a conversation about church, community, and culture. I'm your host, Dan Darling, here in Nashville, Tennessee. Today, my guest is Lauren Chandler. Lauren is a speaker, recording artist, and pastor's wife. Uh, she's collaborated with artists including Shane and Shane, Christy Knuckles, and Bethany Dillon. Uh, she's also a frequent speaker at women's conferences around the country. Uh, she's married to Matt Chandler, the lead teaching pastor at the Village Church in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Today, we will talk with Lauren about what she's learned during some very, very difficult times. Uh, many of you know, if you follow Matt's ministry, that he has uh, battled with what was supposed to be terminal cancer. He has victory over that cancer at this this point in time. We'll talk with Lauren about this season in her life, what she's learned about trusting in the Lord, and really offer an encouraging word for those who are going through trials, through tribulations, whether it's sickness or job loss or uh, betrayal, uh, what she has to teach us from the Word of God about those very, very difficult seasons. Well, so glad to have Lauren Chandler here on the podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. So talking about your new book, Steadfast Love, pretty excited about this. This is your first book, right? Yes, it is. Matt's written a few, and this is my first uh, stab at it. Yeah. So are you like, okay, Matt, it's my turn. Uh, my turn to write a kind book of, here. Kind of, yes. And I, I grew up loving to write mm-hmm. as a kid, and Matt, that wasn't really his favorite thing. He's a, he's, I can't teach or preach like he can, mm-hmm. but writing is more kind of in my wheelhouse. So uh-huh. it was, it was fun to see the difference between our processes. Um, but just, you know, part of that was just our personalities and our, our giftings and, and mm-hmm. how that worked out. So you're writing here in, in a pretty vulnerable way about your experience, particularly when Matt was diagnosed with cancer. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can't imagine what that's like. You know, we're young, we're in our 30s or 40s, you know, we that we don't expect to get news like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I just think life's just going to keep going up yeah. and being wonderful, right? So, I mean, I mean it was it was it was earth-shattering. I think, mm-hmm. you know, I grew up in a really uh, a sweet home. My parents were Christians, are Christians, grew up going to church, you know, Nothing too too um, earth shattering had happened to me at that point. I lost a grandparent, and that did mm-hmm. mark me, you know. But for the most part, life had just kind of progressed as planned. You know, I met Matt when I was young. We got married. I was at a young age. He finished college, got a job, got the pastorate. We started having children. Everything was just kind of moving along fine. I did have. I will say, uh, and I, I touch on this in the best love, November 2009, when the first brush with, okay, you know what? This is not all, life will not go mm. according to my plan, and, and it's better. So I had, you know, a few things that happened before 2009 that I think helped prepare me for 2009, but nothing to like this, this depth mm-hmm. of just shaking that stability of, of normal life. And, mm. um, and so, you know, when he had this seizure on Thanksgiving day, I mean, it, it was completely out of nowhere. He was in the best shape of his life. He had been working out, eating really clean. Our youngest was six months at the time. Our other two were six and, um, and four years old. 
And so we were just kind of just living life and, and right in the mix of it and planning. Uh, we were about to open our um, the new building for our Flower Mound campus. We had been meeting in the same church building for, I guess, uh, six years at that point and had been, you know, cramming six services and cramming as many people as we could. And finally, we were going to get this breather and we were going to get to open this new campus and this new building. And so, you know, everything was going according to plan. And then uh, this the seizure hit mm. out of nowhere. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting when you grow up in the Christian world, I mean, we wouldn't believe the, you know, the sort of prosperity gospel message. We would right. sort of reject that as bad theology. But does it seem like we kind of imbibe some of that anyways in our lives? Yeah. Or we just think as Americans and as Christians and we love Jesus, yeah. everything's going to be great, right? We don't, right. we don't anticipate suffering. Right. I think like practically we we practice it, even mm-hmm. though we might not say, yeah. no, I don't believe, you know, that God will you know, that I worship him so that he mm. blesses me. Um, but in that way, I mean, cause he does bless us. His blessings just might look different from what we think mm. they should look like. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I think we buy into it subconsciously. We don't realize it. I didn't realize it that, you know, I believed that I was somewhat immune from suffering, even though I would say with my my mouth, oh, no, the disciples suffered, you know, I, right. suffering's coming. Uh, I still probably in the back of my mind just kind of was crossing fingers that that wouldn't be me. <laughs> right. It's interesting, too, when you're, you know, when someone is diagnosed with cancer like your husband, I, I wonder if people don't often think of the wife or, you know, or any, in any yeah. relationship, you know, the spouse diagnosed, people don't often think of the suffering that the spouse has to go through. Um, and, and I love that you talk about that pretty, mm-hmm. pretty authentically in here, that, that there's a suffering you're going through as well, right? Yeah. I mean, there's um, just that loss of, of dreams and what you thought life would look like. And, um, you know, there, there are a few points during that season that I can recall just feeling the sting of it. Um, the first was, so Matt's neurosurgeon thought it would be best that he revealed the diagnosis, what kind of tumor this was to me. Mm. And then one other person who, one of the lead pastors, just so he, I wanted him in there with me. And so he could know how do we move forward? Mm -hmm. Because Matt is like, even though, we have an elder board, Matt's a huge part of the Mm. village church. And what will we do if our, you know, something happens to our lead teaching pastor? Mm. So he was in that room with me, um, but it was just the two of us. And the neurosurgeon only wanted to reveal it to us and not to um, Matt yet, because he wanted Matt to just focus on getting healthy and not maybe get bogged down with um, an overwhelming diagnosis. And Mm. so for about a week, I was this other man and I were the only ones that knew that Matt was being diagnosed with a, um, a grade three oligodendroglioma uh, with the progno- usual prognosis for that diagnosis being two to three years of survival. And, um, and so carrying that around for a week and seeing couples, even my own parents, seeing them together, seeing Matt's parents together and envying them because I thought, here I am, and I don't know if I'm going to get to be 
in my fifties and sixties, holding my husband's hand, mm. getting to see my grandchildren. Like right now, it doesn't—it doesn't even seem like I'm going to see my our youngest go to kindergarten with him alive. And so there are these points where I, I I felt that sting as the spouse, and then also when he was going through radiation and chemo taking our son to baseball practices and kind of being being a single mom in that where Matt could not get off the couch and mm. he wanted so badly to be there but I, he couldn't he needed mm. to be resting he felt terrible i didn't want him out there you know and so uh miserable i didn't want to do that to him and so just getting those little um taste of is this what my life is going to be like? And am I going to be a single mom of three kids? And I I tell everybody, Matt's a better mom than I am. He's better at like keeping our house in order and and really getting in with our kids and their hearts. And so I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to do this without him. Uh, So those are the ways I felt as the, you know, as the spouse watching my husband Mm -hmm. go through suffering, you know, and I Mm -hmm. think too, it's hard to watch someone you love go through suffering versus maybe suffering yourself. Now, I I don't I don't want to minimize the suffering he was going through, uh, but he he often commented to me, "I'm glad it's me, and I'm not having to watch you or the kids mm. go through this." Mm. And what sort of forms the basis of this great book that you've written, uh, "Steadfast Love," is the the comfort that you found in particular Psalm Psalm 107. Um, and it's interesting, the kind of themes that are in the psalm, you divide it up into call to worship, the desert, chains, folly, the storm. What was it about Psalm 107 that you kind of stumbled into Psalm 107? Was it something that was in your, your reading? How did you, Mm -hmm. how were you confronted with that? Um, I I had a friend, she just sent me an email. It was was probably... It was a few years before Matt's Mm -hmm. uh, seizure and the brain tumor, Um, and she said, hey, read Psalm 107. So I read it, and she just felt like she felt impressed that there was something significant in it for me, either like writing a song or or something. And so I'm sure I'd read it before, but when I read it that time, it stuck with me because I could identify with each kind of section in mm-hmm. that psalm where you've got different groups of people mm-hmm. suffering. They're in some kind of distress, and some of the distress came upon them out of nowhere, like people caught in a mm-hmm. storm. But some of the distresses uh, were from their own doing, just their mm-hmm. rebellion or continuing to walk in the wisdom of man instead of submitting to the wisdom of God. And then somewhere, you know, I talk about the desert where... Um, most often we see in scripture that God is the one that that leads us into the desert. He led mm-hmm. his people out of Egypt into the wilderness. Um, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are different places where we see that God accomplishes something in the wilderness, or I, I call it the desert. Um, and so I, I saw myself in each group of, of people. And so it was a psalm that I just kept. It, there's so much texture, so many layers. I mean, mm. you could spend a lot of time in the psalm and see see all of Scripture in it. That's what's beautiful is you can see beginning to you can see Genesis in it. You can see Exodus. You can see you know the hope uh, of the Gospels and Revelation all 
in this this one psalm. You, you know, the the first part of it is a call to worship, <laughs> and uh, it's it's one thing that I'm just amazed over and over again with with the psalms, and even yeah. sometimes in the prophets or in Job, where in yeah. times of great distress, there's this call to worship, and it seems sort of that those two things don't go together. Um, right. So can you explain how, you know, you yeah. felt about worship when you were in this in the middle of this? Yeah. Well, when I, I first read the the psalm, I kind of got a picture in my mind. I'm really, I'm a very visual person. And I got this picture of a heart being wrung out. Mm. And, and then just a phrase, and um, sometimes he rings the worship. And, um, and I, I wrote something to the effect of, you know, there's sometimes that we worship when things are good and we, we sing songs of praise to God and we're so grateful um, for all the good things that are going on in, in our lives. But there's also a, a good and, and right kind of worship where God's twisting maybe some things mm-hmm. in our hearts and wringing worship out of us where worship isn't, thank you, God, you know, for all the blessings in my life. Sometimes it's, God, I have no other hope but you. Mm. I have no other answer but you. And that is worship, too. I think a lot of times we can say, oh, worship is is praise and worship, or we've, mm-hmm. we've got to you know, have shiny faces, and, <laughs> and everything's going great. But there is, it is good to worship when, and it is worship for us to cry out to Him and say, you're the only one. You're the mm. only one I can look to. You're the only one that can do anything about the situation I'm in. Um, I need you. And mm. thank you that you are able. Thank you that that you care about me. Thank you that you, you hear my cry. Mm. You know, one of the things I always sort of remark about sometimes the way that we do church as evangelicals is that we only sort of emphasize one emotion. So we think worship mm. is always... Triumphant. So you go to some right. services, and it's just, you know, every second is just, isn't God great? Isn't isn't He wonderful? Which He is, and we should say that. Right. But then you read the Psalms, and you see David lamenting. You see him yeah. crying. Uh, and I imagine, you know, people who are suffering, sometimes when they come into church on a Sunday, there's just nothing yeah. for them, you know, because it's yeah. all, let's just all be triumphant all the time. Right. It, yeah. And it's hard. It's hard to... When you're just, I, I think there needs to be more space, and I, I feel like there is where the church is looking at more at that for mm-hmm. laments that we lament. We say, God, you know, in these songs of Jesus, come, come mm-hmm. back, because although we can see you here in the land of the living, we know that this isn't all there. There will be. We're still suffering from mm-hmm. the fall. We're there's still. There's still death, you know. There's not spiritual death for those who are in Christ, but there is still that physical yeah. death. And and to say, Jesus, come back, um, you know, as King, as Lord, conquering death finally for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there does need to be that space because there's a lot of us who are suffering, who are walking with people that are suffering. And it's not as it should be. God, you know, when He created in Genesis one, there there wasn't supposed to be this this death and disease and and suffering, but there was there was this dwelling with Him and and um and having dominion. And then, um, you know, so for us to acknowledge that there are a lot of people in our churches, a lot of people that we're standing next to you in uh, in our sanctuaries that that they're 
they're intimately acquainted with the fact that all is not as it should be. Mm. And we should be crying out to God to say, come, Lord Jesus, come, make things mm. right and, and save, save now and come soon. Mm. Amen. So we talked a little bit about sort of worshiping in in times of distress or the storms. You also talk here and you sort of, you know, move through Psalm 107. There's there's times of desert where you just feel disconnected from God. And it's it's probably difficult for somebody in a high profile like yourself, you know, pastor's wife and Matt Chandler's mm-hmm. wife, to admit and say, yeah, there, even for us, there's times where we don't feel connected yeah. to God, that we're thirsty. And that's that's what's great about the Gospels, even though I can be, quote unquote, high profile, I'm not the superhero. And Matt talks about this from the stage all the time, mm. um, you know, that, that Jesus is the mm. superhero here. And so I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to be weak and that's actually a good thing, you know, in second Corinthians mm. 12, nine, you know, his grace is sufficient. So I'll boast all the more, uh, gladly my weaknesses so that Christ's power may dwell in me. Um, just this idea of, we're never going to just get it here. We're always going to be weak and needy. Will we live in victory? Yes, we will have times of victory, but there will be times where we're just dry. And and we've just got to say, um, Lord, I, I feel dry. You don't feel near, but I want you near. I thank you that um, that that you hear me uh, and that you are strong in my weakness so that mm. I don't have to pretend to be strong all the time. Mm. That's really good. You also talk about there's times when our suffering is the result of our choices uh, or the things that we've done. Yeah. So you have, I think, two sections here. One yeah. is about chains and mm-hmm. one is about folly. I mean, chains, yep. to me, they they both seem like the result of choices we made, but chains seem to be like these sort of overwhelming addictions to particular yes. sins that are just seem so impossible to break. And uh, I know there's a lot of people in our churches that feel that way, right? That come in, that feel like, I, I don't want to be living this way. I don't want to be giving into these things, but I just feel mm-hmm. helpless. And so maybe speak a word to people who feel that way. First of all, we're born with chains of rebellion, you know, being being of Adam and mm-hmm. and, and inheriting his sin. Um and but then I think a lot of times even when we we have this conversion experience and, and God opens our eyes and makes us alive, you know, with Christ, we um can we can kind of let keep lugging those chains mm-hmm. with us. And um even though he might have he broke them in Christ. And so I, I, I speak a little to that, but I, I focus mainly on these chains as Christians that we still lug around with us. A lot of times they're, they could be addiction. It could be substance addiction. I think uh, we can hide in church and, and, and live a double life where we come on Sunday and, and we pretend to be one person, but we hide a, a shameful addiction. You know, maybe it's uh, al- alcohol, drugs, you know, prescription, whatever, um, that we're not immune to it as believers, that we can get, those can kind of get their hooks in us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of times we'll, we'll think, oh, I, I can't be a Christian and, and do that. So I, I, something's 
wrong here, but I'm too ashamed to say something. So then those chains just get heavier and heavier instead of admitting, look, I am still, I, I, I'm in Christ, I'm weak, and I'm still lugging these chains with me. I can't break them. I've tried, you know, to stop on my own. I've tried, sometimes our addictions can be relationships. I've tried to get out of this relationship and mm-hmm. I just can't do it. And um, there is something to admitting I have these chains and I've tried to break them on my own and I cannot. And so coming before the Lord, acknowledging it, bringing it to light to other believers. So, if, you know, you're in in um, biblical community, maybe like a home group, small group, mm-hmm. coming to those people that are around you and saying, I have this secret. I have this thing that owns me. I have this relationship that's wrong. I have this addiction um, to a substance, to pornography, to whatever it might be. Even for me, I had an addiction to just perfectionism. I was like, I feel like I should be better than I am, and I mm. should just get this on my own. That I need to figure out living the Christian life on my own and and just coming to those people and saying, I I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. And um, bringing whatever that is to light to them. And then I would go a step further, and I did this. I went through Celebrate Recovery at our church several years ago. We, we now have something called Recovering Redemption, mm-hmm. uh, which is just, it's a step program that I went through, and it was very helpful. And, and then some of us might, might need more than that. We might need um, professional biblical counseling, or maybe we need treatment. Mm-hmm. And there's no shame in that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what, you know, the enemy wants to, wants to, you know, have us hide whatever it is like, oh gosh, if you say something, you know, they're never going to, they're going to look at you crazy. How can you call yourself a Christian? So, he, you know, he tempts us with these um, addictions and we buy in, we choose, uh, but then he shames us for it at mm-hmm. the same time. Yeah. And so um, there's no shame in, in coming clean and saying, I, I cannot do this anymore. You know, I've heard such great, great things about the, the steps program that that Village has, and I know our church went through recovering redemption, and awesome. there's some great great things about that sort of gospel based uh, centered yeah. um, recovery. One more question: um, You talk uh, about folly, about sometimes our suffering is a result of our own choices, and it seems hard sometimes for us to come to grips with that. That God has to sometimes bring suffering for us to see you know, kind of who we are. Um, That's hard, isn't it? It is. I mean, I think, you know, He will let us, um, in in His mercy, feel the the sting and the pain of our own consequences. And so when I talk about folly, you know, folly is foolishness. And how does the Bible, how does God define what folly is? And folly is essentially the wisdom of man for Mm -hmm. us to say, we know better. We know what's best for our lives. We know how to squeeze the most amount of joy and satisfaction out of life and, um, and, and refusing to submit to what, what God says is, is right. God says is pleasurable for our souls. And so, um, and, and what, the Bible teaches about wisdom is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so um, what does that look like to fear God and to to reject the wisdom of man and to fear the Lord and, and have the beginning of, of wisdom? Mm. And and so that's what I, I talk a lot about there. But you're right, you know, in the 
the chain section, it says that he bowed their hearts down with hard labor, which that's a really uh, hard thing to swallow, to think that God will let things get harder for us instead of of you know making it easier or lifting that burden but but he does it for our good he does it so that we'll see our chains that we'll see that that our way of doing life is not working it won't ever work um until we cry out to him we look to him as being wisdom as being um the way the truth and the life mm. Wow, that's such a great word. I really appreciate your time with us and uh, this really good book, Steadfast Love. I encourage people to go out and get it and perhaps, you know, women's ministries to make this sort of a, a study, our small groups. It's really good theology and really good stuff here. And you've, you've actually lived through this kind of suffering. And so I appreciate you joining us today and uh, blessings on your ministry. Thank you. I want to thank Lauren Chandler for a really great and candid and frank conversation. I encourage you to get her book. Uh, We'll have that linked on our website, danieldarling.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, would you let us know by sending an email to wayhome at erlc.com or writing a review on iTunes. Uh, That just helps spread the word so others can hear the Way Home podcast. We also have previous episodes on my website at danieldarling.com. Click on the podcast page and you'll see them all there. Also, don't forget about our ELC National Conference, August 25th and 26th here in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, You can register by going to the website. But for now, thank you for listening to the Way Home podcast. The Way Home is recorded and produced by Gary Lancaster. Research is conducted by David Clausen and scheduling is handled by Marie Delf. The Way Home is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention.